Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. If you need prayer or just someone to talk with, please send us an email to info at atmosphere.church. Someone from our team will be sure to connect with you. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Uh, We are talking about love, and some of you that are brand new with us, we welcome you. And you might be thinking, like, why are you talking about love in the middle of September when we're moving into fall? Shouldn't you be talking about this around February when it's Valentine's Day and we're talking about love? But see, I think there's no better time to talk about love than in September when we're kind of kicking off a new season as a church. Because the one thing that is imperative we get down and we get right as followers of Jesus is how we love God and how we love people. And so we need to understand what this idea of love is because I've just got to tell you, our culture has pretty much taken ownership of the word and it's become really distorted. We, we kind of have a hard time even describing what love is. And so what we hope to do in the next several weeks is unpack this word and the significance of the meaning with this word when it comes into relationship with the Bible and our relationship with God. And we're going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so if you've been to a lot of weddings in your lifetime, chances are you've been to a wedding that they've actually read from 1 Corinthians 13 that is known as the love chapter. And so we're going to be taking some time. We're going to be unpacking that. So let me pray and uh, we'll get into it. Father, I thank you so much for everybody that you are bringing to our church and that, God, I see people so hungry for an awakening in this valley. And Lord, I do believe that one of the reasons of many reasons that you sent us here, Lord, is for that awakening. So God, be here with us. Speak through me. Lord, when we leave this place, let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt we had a divine appointment with you. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 13. And and so this is kind of the, uh, the, the whole idea behind this series, What is Love? Because the Bible defines it. it. The Bible doesn't leave this word kind of undefined. It's very descriptive. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things endures all things, love never fails. Now, what I love about this definition is not necessarily uh, uh, the words that it uses here, but what it doesn't say. It doesn't say love is a feeling. And if you think about how culture defines love, most of the time we describe love as a feeling. You've heard expressions like, I'm falling in love. Or I've fallen 
out of love. You've heard expressions like this. What, what they're describing is a feeling. We did karaoke night last Sunday. We talked about losing that loving feeling. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That loving feeling. You guys did a good job, by the way. Uh, 11 was way better than 9 o'clock. But the, the, idea, the idea that Paul's getting at is love is a lot of things, but it is not based upon a feeling, at least the biblical view of how God wants us to look at love. Because we are to be a people that follow Jesus and have the same reputation that Jesus had. Now, the reputation that Jesus had was he was an outrageous lover. I mean, he was out there bringing people into his space and accepting them that the church people of his time were shaming. He would go out of his way to hang with these people to the extent that people started accusing Jesus of being guilty of doing the things that he was uh, with the people that he was hanging with. He, he was developing a bad reputation by living the reputation that God wants us to live, and that is a reputation of love. So in other words, what we talked about last week was that when people describe a follower of Jesus, the word that they should use before they use any other word is love. And they love people so well in their life. But if I were to take a little survey out there with people that maybe don't attend church or aren't a part of church, they would use words like, you know, they're judgy or they're like moral police agents, you know, for God or whatever. There's a lot of words that people use to describe followers of Jesus in our culture these days, but one of the words that is lacking is love. And so this is why we need to really circle this up because if we are to do this life well, the way God wants us to do it, then the reputation we're going to have is the same reputation Jesus had and that we are to be outrageous lovers for God and his kingdom. So we want to look at this, and we want to look at it by first describing that love is a lot of things, but it definitely is not a feeling. Have you noticed that our culture is putting a lot of emphasis on feelings? Matter of fact, we're basing truth, not just love, but we're basing our truth upon feelings. I feel this way, therefore it is true. Let me wake you up to a reality. That your feelings may be real, but they aren't necessarily right. And your feelings may be real, but they may be far from reality. In other words, you may not feel like you're sick, but you go into a doctor's office and they do a little ultrasound and they find something on your colon. You're like, I don't feel like I'm sick. I don't feel like maybe I have a polyp on my colon. But the doctor says, the scan says otherwise, there's a polyp growing on your colon that needs to be taken out. So a lot of times our feelings don't line up with reality, but you can see the danger zone when we're basing so much of our reality on our feelings because feelings kind of change inside of us, kind of like the weather in Colorado. Have you guys ever been to Colorado before? I have visited my brother, and on any given day I've been with him, every hour the weather changes. Like, I could be there, and it's sunny, and it's beautiful, and we're outside, and an hour later there's like, you know, thunder and lightning and golf ball-sized hail falling from the sky, 
you know, and then another hour it's snowing, and then another hour it's sunny again. I think feelings are a lot like the weather. They're just constantly changing. So you could see a big danger in lining up your reality with how you feel, especially when it comes to this idea of love. And where do our feelings come from? Our feelings come from a response from the chemical reactions that are actually taking place in your brain. Did you know that? Let me get a little geeky with you with biology here. But inside of your brain, you have all kinds of words and pictures that you're associating your thoughts with. And those thoughts that you are coming to a decision to agree with are actually causing those feelings. So, so the pictures that you see and the words that you hear are actually creating the feelings that you feel. And you think about the words and pictures. We're, we're absorbing words and pictures from all kinds of sources, aren't we? We're absorbing them from what our moms and dads said about us when we were little. We're absorbing these words and pictures from movies and television shows and and uh, songs that we sing, and now social media is added to that. We're, we're getting our, our words and pictures from all kinds of sources. And what the Bible warns us, and this is interesting, and I'm going to tie this together with this idea of love, is the, the Apostle Paul, he says this when it comes to our understanding of our thoughts. This is what he said. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying there's something to be said with how we think when it comes to changing the way we live. That if you want to change the way you live, it starts by changing the way you think. But the way you think is directly caused by the words and the pictures that you're allowing yourself to absorb that is actually causing you feelings. And, and if you're not careful, you can get caught up in this cycle, this loop. I, I have a diagram that I borrowed from a, another uh, a professor that, that I follow, uh, and, and this is kind of how he shows it here. He says, you've got the patterns of this world, and these are the the, the cultural normals that all of us are, are absorbing every day, whether we like it or not. A lot of us listen to radio. We're, we're watching you know, television. We're watching Netflix or whatever. There, there's patterns that are, that are found in all of these things that we're absorbing with our minds. And these are creating these thoughts. And then these thoughts create the words and pictures that ultimately create feelings. But what happens if you're not careful is these feelings will then loop around and confirm your thoughts. And so now you're like stuck in this thinking because you believe your feelings are telling you what is true and those thoughts about what you feel are true are then causing you to feel and, and confirm the feelings that you have. So you're stuck in this proverbial loop. I see this sometimes with people that say, I don't feel that God loves me and I don't feel God's presence is with me and so therefore I, I think God and I have a problem. But they're basing those feelings on some thoughts that are coming from other sources than God's word. So what happens is we take this same idea and we replace it with one factor, and that is the word of God. 
And now all of a sudden, instead of the pattern of this world training our thought life on the words and pictures that we are to absorb so that we can then create feelings, now we have a new source. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is declaring truth and the reality, even if our feelings don't line up with the reality. Here's the reality. God does love you. God's presence is here right now to be with you and that you have unsurpassable worth. Now, you may not feel that, but God's word declares that. And so as you align your mind up with the word of God, then it creates a new pattern of how you will feel. And then you're stuck in a different kind of loop. But it, it, it bears giving this some thought and giving this some time to think about because so many of us are failing to have a reputation of outrageous love because we're basing all of our love towards people on feelings. Now, how do I know that we are to love and and it not involve our feelings at all? And I'm going to take you back to Jesus because Jesus kind of gives us this whammy, I call it, in Luke chapter 6. And he really walks us through this idea of how we know that, that we're living outrageously in our love. It says, but I say to you who here love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. There's the golden rule right there from Jesus' lips. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you for even sinners? Another way of saying that would be people who are far from God. Even people who are far from God love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, those who are far from God, do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners under, to receive back the same amount. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. That's the whammy. Why? Because Jesus is saying, if you think love is a feeling, then you got it wrong. Because I haven't met anybody that has warm and tingly feelings about their enemies. Matter of fact, I would propose to you that one of the reasons they're your enemy is because you don't feel like you really like them. There's some, there's some feelings at war, and that's why they're out there as your quote-unquote enemy. But here's the reality. If we can love our enemies, we can love anybody. So Jesus is saying our standard right here is if we love our enemy, then we've moved into the space that we can be known as outrageous lovers of God. Now, in order to kind of understand this, you have to just think about some Greek language for a minute, because the word that we're using for love in 
the Bible is this word called agape. It's a, it's a Greek word, and, I, and I'm going to describe it to you in a minute, but it's also important to understand some other Greek words that are used for love, especially with us being in the English language we just have the word love to describe all kinds of things. Like, I love pizza, and I love my wife. Now, I don't love pizza like I love my wife, all right? That just, that doesn't happen. I love God. I don't love God like I love my wife. So there are these different ideas of love in, in how they're distinctive. So in the Greek language, they really do a good job in breaking down some of these different ideas of love. And so I'm just gonna take you through some of the words that you can find in the Greek language to maybe give yourself a more understanding of how the Bible is calling us to be outrageous lovers in this world. The first word is storge. The word storge. And it's an affection for things. It's an affection for a characteristic, an affection for an object. I love your dress. Just look at your neighbor right now and find out something in, uh, th- about them that you just say. Say, I love this about you. Just tell them about it. I love your hair. Pastor Jim, I love your boots. Okay, that's enough storge. That's enough storge, all right? But, but see, storge, if, if you want to say it, storge is kind of like looking at something. You're, 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 you're seeing something externally, and you're saying, I love that. But here's another kind of love. It's phileo love. And phileo love is a powerful emotional bond seen in deep friendships. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, from this word, phileo. This is like a shared experience. This is like you're in the foxhole with somebody and, and you're doing life with this person. You have, you have all of these things in common. And just like storge is like looking at something, phileo is like looking with someone. You have somebody at your side. That's phileo, love. And then you have this kind of sexy one. It's called eros love. This is the sensual passionate, intimate, you know, sexual kind of romantic love. This is the love that a husband and wife enjoy together in this romance. And, and whereas storge is looking at something, phileos is looking with someone, eros is like looking into someone. I look in your eyes and I see two circles with black dots in the middle. <laughs> Ooh la la. This is eros. But agape love is different. Matter of fact, agape love can be defined as a commitment to ascribe worth to someone at cost to oneself. And the key word there is commitment. Write that down if you're taking notes. Commitment. See, agape really chooses to not pay attention to anything on the external. Whereas eros and phileo and storge is all about external things looking at, agape is blind. Agape is saying, I'm not paying attention to this. And really it's defined in 1 John 3.16 by Jesus' life. It says, this is how we know what love is. Christ gave his life for us 
And we too then ought to give our lives for others. That's, that's agape love. This is the love that Christ is inviting us into by pouring it into our lives so that it can now be poured from our lives. And, and so just looking at these things and kind of comparing them together. Agape is blind. Agape is saying, I don't care about any external things. This, it's not a matter of me seeing anything. I'm blindly going through loving this person no matter what because I'm committed to doing it. It's a choice regardless of what we see or don't see. Matter of fact, I would say agape love is actually the most beautiful kind of love because you're choosing to actually see that person from the lens of how God sees that person. And the way God sees every human being is they were created in his image and that Christ died for them and therefore they have unsurpassable worth. And, and so now you're, you're saying, I'm blind to all the externals and I'm choosing to see them in the same way that, that God sees them and now it's a game changer. Now you're moving into this agape love space where everything is becoming different. This is the marriage covenant. See, you're, you get married so that you may agape your spouse. Because let me tell you something. If maybe you haven't been married very long or you're thinking about getting married, that yes, it is true that eros is a part of marriage. And it's true that phileo is a part of marriage. And it's true that storge is a part of marriage. Matter of fact, it was the storge that probably first attracted you to the person that you married. You love something about them. And then maybe the phileo is kind of what got you to a point where, like, I could see myself being with this person for a long period of time because we have common interests and we're doing things together. And then you're like, ooh la la, they look good, and I'm, I'm, I got some desires for them. I, I've got my eros going on. And so that's true that those things are all fluid in a marriage. But if you base marriage simply on storge phileo or eros, you are setting yourself up for failure. Why? Because those things are fluid. Eros comes and goes in the marriage. And you guys that have been married for a while, you know that sometimes, hey, you're in the mood. Sometimes you're not. You're feeling the eros. Sometimes you're not. You've been busy. You're like, I'm tired. I've got a headache. Not tonight, right? No eros for you. <laughs> I'll just park it there. But, but then you got to phileo, and as much as you, you, know, you, you want to have a, a life partner that's just enjoying all the same things that you enjoy as you get older, maybe you, know, you don't have the same, the same shared loves or passions, and so you guys are kind of doing two different things. And, and every once in a while, maybe the phileo moment comes in your life, and, and you enjoy that, but you don't base your entire marriage on that because, you know, I may be feeling the phileo now, but I may not feel it next week. I was feeling phileo last Sunday. I mean, for the first time in 26 years, I have been trying to get my wife to sit down and watch a football game with me. <laughs> for the first time in 26 years, she parked herself on the couch, and we watched the Rams play and beat the Saints. And I'm looking over going, mm, I'm feeling some phileo right now. I've been, I've been wanting this and desiring this forever. I love football. 
But it was for her. She just needed to know some people with the Rams organization or whatever. Like, oh, he's doing so good right now. Just like, I'm like, yeah, Negrin, this is awesome. <laughs> Phileo, it's great. But I don't base my marriage on it. Storge is amazing where you look at the person and you're like, I love this about them. But see what happens as you get older, the things that attracted you to them, they may not necessarily possess anymore. That was that you were storgating that in, the tw- in, in their 20s, but now in their 60s, it's gone. There's a new storge there. <laughs> but the idea, though, a marriage covenant is not based on feelings. A marriage covenant is based on commitment. You're saying, I'm choosing to love my spouse, even though right now they're not being very lovable. I'm committing. That, that is agape love. I'm loving this person at the cost to myself. This is costing me something. Maybe my peace. Maybe it's costing me uh, just you know getting my agenda completed instead of their agenda being done. But here's how we transition our lives into agape love. You have to see your life as a whole person that is soul, mind, and body. Soul, mind, and body. This is important. You gotta get this down. Soul, mind, and body. This is who you are. There's three parts of who you are. There's soul, mind, and body. Soul is who you are internally. Other people can say your spirit, but it's that person you are inside. Your mind, obviously, is your mind. It's your thoughts. It's, it's those words and pictures that we talked about earlier. And then your body, those are, that's the action step. That's what you do. That's how you respond physically to what is happening internally. And so what we do is we take the agape on the inside of us because when we taste the love of God for us, he pours that agape into us so that we can then pour it out onto the world. So we're to take that agape love and now we're to give it away. But it it takes soul, mind, and body. So so let me walk you through how we do this. Step one is, is you make a commitment in your soul that, that you're going to be loving towards somebody. You, you commit to it. You're saying, I'm going to choose to look past my self-centeredness right now that wants to push that person away, and I'm committing myself to love them. And I'm not talking just your spouse. I'm talking about that coworker, that jerk-faced boss of yours. I'm talking about that neighbor that drives you up the wall from playing loud music at 10 o'clock when you have to get up at 4 in the morning. I'm, I'm talking uh, about that, that family member that you're going to have to circle up with in two months and you're already dreading Thanksgiving because you have to sit with them for, for a whole evening and you're just like, oh. I'm talking about people that aren't necessarily being very lovable towards you. This is agape love. You commit to it. You're saying, I'm internally choosing to love this person even though they're being very unlovable back. I'm ignoring the external circumstances and said, I'm going to love them anyway, despite who they are. That's a commitment that you make in your soul. Now you're moving into the mind. Now you're moving into the space where you have words and pictures floating around of all kinds of different ideas of this person, whoever that person might be, and and you're processing it. And so What I learned 15 years ago, and this is a a beautiful experiment. I I challenge you to do this maybe this week at some point. Go maybe park yourself at the Oaks Mall 
and, and just do some people watching. But what you do is you, you picture people as they're coming by with this new image that you are creating over each person that you see, that number one, they're creating the image of God. Number two, Christ died for them. Number three, they have unsurpassable value and worth. And what I did 15 years ago is, is I sat in a mall, and as people came by, I visually pictured this light coming down from heaven over these individuals. And I began declaring with words, saying, God, I want that person to be blessed. I pray that that person be blessed. God, that is, that is somebody that you created in your image, that you died for. They have unsurpassable words. And I began declaring under my breath here these new definitions of these strangers that were just passing by. And check out what was happening internally inside of me. I began feeling differently towards these strangers that I didn't even know. Why? Because I began processing them the same way that God looks at them. The agape love that God has for them, I began feeling towards them because I chose to see them and picture them in the same capacity that God sees them. It's a shift. And maybe tomorrow at work, everybody that's coming by, you just start praying for them, praying blessings and say, I don't look forward to working with them, but God, I acknowledge that they were created in your image, that you died for them, and that they have unsurpassable worth. I mean, this will blow them away that you start seeing and picturing them different. And, and even though your feelings change, we're not paying attention to the feelings. It has nothing to do with feelings. But when the feelings follow, and they most all the time do, that's a bonus. And when you start picturing who they are and how Christ sees them, the feelings follow, then you're ready to move on to the next part, which is your body. Now there's some kind of response. Now that you've made this internal decision and commitment that this is who we are, this is what we're doing, and, and this is how I see them, this is my thoughts towards them, and now I have to respond to this. What do I do? And this is where we talked about last week. You see a need. You take care of it. You see a need and you fill it. You find a hurt and you heal it, regardless of who they are. See, because now that you're picturing them the same way that Christ is picturing them, you've thrown out all judgment. And even though we want to just get down on anybody that through church history has ever been judgmental, let's face it, we're all pretty judgmental. We're sizing people up all the time, and we're making definitions of people without even really knowing them and having a conversation with them. We're already kind of preconceiving in our mind who they are. And so when we start seeing them the same way that God sees them, judgment goes out the window, and now we're ready to respond to that love by doing something practically for them. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's buying them, like we said, like a, 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 a coffee and bringing it into work in the morning. Maybe it's texting them and, and calling them on the phone and just saying, hey, I just, I just want to just encourage you and, and just want to appreciate, you know, I want to value you as a person in my life and ascribe worth to them and speak that out. Speak it over them. Do something and, and show them some kind of way, some kind of capacity of, of how you're loving them. And that doesn't mean you have to storge them, phileo them, and eros them. We don't really advocate that. But 
But if that's what they're looking for, they say, no, I'm fine. I, I'm called to agape you. And this is what it translates in, in a practical setting. Every time you initiate kindness, when, you, when your feelings would prefer to just go home and Netflix, uh, when you move towards somebody, you're making a choice to move towards them. Maybe when you're saying, I, I don't really want to inconvenience myself or it might be messy to, to kind of ask them how their day is because I know they're going to go on a 10-minute rant and just like they're just going to just be annoying. But you know what? I need to, I need to talk to them. I need to give them the, the capability of having that conversation and do something to show and activate my love towards them. In that moment, you are creating love. You're creating love. You're creating agape love in that space. If I could say it a different way, you're making love. I think we need to rebrand that whole phrase of making love. Because when, when you step out of yourself and you love somebody in a practical thing, a practical way, in a, with a practical word, what is happening is you're creating love. You're making love. This is why I say, if our understanding is right about real agape love, I would tell you that we need to be people who are committed to go and make love more often in more places with more people. Tweet that. <laughs> My pastor said, I need to make some love. You do. We need a new reputation in the Conejo Valley that those followers of Jesus, man, I don't know how to describe them other than they are outrageous lovers, period. Come on, somebody. That's what we're talking about in this series. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And as they come up, I, I want you to just close your eyes with me. And remember when I said earlier, when you can get to a place where you love your enemy, you can love anybody. I know something about you that there's probably somebody difficult in your life that maybe you would label your enemy. And maybe it's somebody you have a difficulty with or maybe it's somebody that has a difficulty with you, but they're your enemy. I want you in this exercise, I just, I want you to picture that person. Get that person in your mind. Maybe it's even a group of people. And, and I want you to just envision going through these steps with me for a moment. I, I want you first to think about that person and, and make a choice with your soul to say, I'm committed to loving that person. I'm committed to loving that person. And now I, I want you to envision them from the lens of God and how God looks at them, that they are created in his image, that Christ died for them, and they have unsurpassable worth when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. Picture that light shining down on them with the cross before them and Jesus saying, I love them. I love them. And now I, I want you to think about what does that look like with your body with, with ways that, that you are to respond in that agape love towards your enemy and in words that you are to, to speak towards them. Because when you love your enemy, and maybe this week God's gonna prompt you to do something or say something 
telling you, you are gonna freak them out. And they're gonna go, what is happening right now? Because in the same way that God has loved you, he's asked us to love his creation for him. And if you can love your enemy well, you will love anybody outrageously. Just picture them. The reckless love that God stepped out of heaven to give you, now he's saying, I want you to take that reckless love and give it away to somebody else that doesn't deserve it, that could never earn it, but you're gonna give it away anyway. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at www.atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click on the tab that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. Bye.